Welcome to this special episode of the Telltales podcast. Today we will be discussing AI with Dr. Lynn Gribble, who is an Associate Professor at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. So could you start us off? I mean, AI has kind of shook HE to the ground. What's your take on it? We shouldn't be as shaken and stirred as we think we are, right? Because let's face it, we're drowning in AI and we have been for a long, long time. So everything from when you put your Google search in and it fills, auto fills it for you and your Netflix tells you what you might like to watch next and your Spotify account makes a beautiful playlist for you. All of that is AI. For a long time, we've had, you know, the word processes correcting you know, our work. So let's not get ourselves too wound up too quickly. I think that one of the things that we're seeing is people not differentiating uh, from generative AI, which is the AI that's creative, often not very truthful. Its parents took the internet away from it in 2021. So it's not as smart as it thinks it is. And it is extremely creative, as I said. So it just sort of, you know, wants to grab from everywhere. And then all the way through to the semantic stuff that's editing your work and to the super stuff that's doing all of that and above. So my take is, is that instead of worrying about AI, what we really need to do in HE particularly is go back to the grassroots of what do I want my students to know when they leave my room? So if I start with the premise of my job as in a university is to make sure that because I teach ethics and sustainability, my students should leave having a view on what is good ethical practice of making the world more sustainable. And they should be able to think critically about that as master's students. So then if I take the next step on that, I have to come back to what is it they need to know when they leave. So one would argue that um, leaving my course, they should understand those different frameworks. They don't need to be able to memorise them. Memorising them is not useful. But by the way, if I go to a doctor, that doctor should know what the bone is in my forearm and should know the name of it. If I am an accountant or I work in finance or economics, there's certain skills and tools that I need to be able to use. So I think that with AI, instead of worrying about is AI doing our students' work for us or, you know, come back to what is the work and then redesign what you want your students to do, knowing that it's no different than diving on your computer and saying, Google, can you tell me this, which we've been doing for years. So in terms of redesigning then assessment, uh, is it is it a case that we we should be moving away from that traditional essay-based artifact? I don't know too many places that want their employees to write an essay. Not even you and I who work in higher ed write an essay. We write reports, we might write memos, we might do a video, uh, we might do a podcast like we're doing now. We might create an infographic. You know, there's a number of things we'll do, but I'm not so sure we're going to write a traditional essay. There is probably still a place for traditional essays in some of the art-focused disciplines. You know, uh, my daughter is studying fine art. I can see the value of writing an essay in fine art. I can see it in some of the other social science spaces as well. But because my discipline is management and organisational behaviour, I'm not so clear that we need essays. I'm also not so clear about the paper and pencil test, which everybody's saying, well, if we're so worried about tech, have a paper and pencil test, because neither you nor I would be asked in a confined space and time to write something down from memory. 
And we know that memory, particularly as we have more students with neurodiverse needs, uh, suffering mental health conditions, I don't know that that's a great answer either. I think we do need to turn to what is the job that they're going to do and can they actually do what we've taught them in an applied manner? I think we kind of lost out a, in a little bit of an internet connection there, but that's okay. It's probably the uh, the AI working in the background. <laughs> so in ter in terms of... Like student use, um, so particularly in the UK at the moment, there's a, there's a big driver for universities to publish guidance on what is acceptable use of AI. I'd be interested to know your thoughts on that. We have to first of all decide what it is we're asking the student to demonstrate. So I teach a course in ethics and sustainability, and I have a number of students who might say to me, well, I wrote it in my native language and then I translated it. And I'll say that's not acceptable because that would be like me writing a paper in English, translating it in Spanish and getting a Spanish degree. You know, I can't do that because it sensibly tells the world I can communicate in Spanish when I can't or I can earn my degree in Spanish. So there's some inherent things that as a university we need to be very clear on, every university, no matter what you teach. The second thing is to come back and say, if a student does use it either as an editor or as a research assistant or as a for their literature review or whatever, they need to acknowledge that. Acknowledge it in a way like I would say if I asked you to look at something, I'd say, and I'm really grateful for the wisdom and, and guidance of Chris in producing this. Yep. So chat GPT or BARD or any tool you use, it needs to be, we need to recognise that. It's like having help. But it is still needs human oversight. So I wrote a blog recently about how I saw students become overconfident with what they were being told by AI. And it resulted in a large number of students failing. And they were all like, oh, when we said to them, you know, you failed. Um, A, because we had changed our rubrics to ensure that base knowledge didn't get through. It had to be applied knowledge. But what happened with the generative AI was they were given a lot of discriminatory knowledge because we'd asked a discriminatory question. How do you reduce inequity? And so people started to say things like, make sure that more women are hired. It's like, well, you know, this is 2023. Make sure you've got more flexibility. This is 2023. This is, you know, we've had three years of pandemic, particularly in Australia, lockdowns, right? So flexible work, you know, women in the workplace, this is just not what we would expect to see. So it showed us that they hadn't really engaged to a degree and we were able to, to go back and say, but the work was this. So I think it's not about prohibition has never worked. So it's not about banning it, but it is about saying, how could it be used in this assignment? And then instead of suggesting that you design it out because you're never going to design it out it's like academic integrity you know we've often talked about the game of whack-a-mole right you solve this problem for another one to pop up AI is going to be exactly the same so instead talk about what is good use how it might work well in your discipline and the responsibilities of it and then one of the other things I say to my students is that if you write in a way that looks like a computer wrote it then you're probably not adding value when I come from my disciplinary perspective. And therefore, I'll just get a computer to do it, not you. And so that doesn't make you very employable. I'm very focused on this is what would happen in the workplace. If you take this to your boss without checking the quality of it, you've just done yourself out of a job. 
So we will expect, unfortunately, that students might shortcut their research or whatever, but they've been doing that anyway, right? Typing in a phrase, Google gives them a reference. We look at that reference list, say that doesn't relate to this course. Where did it come from, right? So it's just a case of you've got to really know at the very base roots, again, what is it you want this student to be able to show you? So in yours and my job, there are certain things we could expect our managers might walk in and say, hey, Lynn, what's your thoughts on this? And I would be expected to have a discipline-based view, be able to put together a coherent argument. Same with yourself, Chris, you know, if your manager walked in and said, Chris, can you tell me about this piece of tech or whatever, you would be expected to be able to know that and talk about some general affordances and, you know, possibilities. That's what students need to leave with. And we need to worry that they're learning that. There will always be the student who's in our class that isn't engaged in deep learning. If you just want people to be able to regurgitate information, then you let ChatGPT do the work for them, get them to learn it rote and get them to come in and pen and paper, write it down. And you can be certain that they have rote learned that. But that is not what most university or higher ed people are looking to do. Most university people are saying, I want you to demonstrate critical thinking, application of something to some real world problem. So I believe that the future belongs with the people who can use these tools to be more efficient, more effective, and to, to call it out, you know, when it's not telling the truth, actually say that. And I heard a great thing only this last week um, where a colleague, uh, not at the university that I work at, but another colleague said that they believe that we'll become disenfranchised with AI in the next 12 months to 24 months because people will say, it's not truthful. Well, we know it's not truthful. But right now, it's a little bit like the learning curve of, um, you know, when we all got smartphones and, you know, there's going to be many people listening to this that don't ever remember not having a smartphone. But bear with me. At the time we got smartphones, people had to learn that there was a phone that could do everything right? And you'll still meet people today who are older than I am, older than you are, that say, I just use it for my phone and a few emails, right? maybe a calculator if I need to. They don't put their tickets on it. They don't put their music on it. They don't, you know, but it can do, my iPhone can do everything my laptop can do. I don't need to take my laptop just about anywhere these days because I can do it all on my phone. So Saying that a smartphone is a bad idea, that's what you're saying when you're saying AI is a bad idea. Move away from the problem and go to the use. How do you see it might be used in your industry, in your field, in your discipline? How will students add value to it? Because that, that's the human condition. And that's where we get the difference. I think that's a, a really valid point. And I think we've both shown our age. Remember when phones were essentially bricks and I remember saying, well, well, why do I want a camera on my phone? Like, I don't need to take pictures. I have a camera to do that. And uh, that kind of building value into assessments and certainly from a student point of view of, well, what am I, what skills do I need rather than being able to just regurgitate information going forward? I know a lot of academics over in the UK feel very threatened by it. What about from a student point of view then? Do you think students are threatened by it? Say I was studying to become a graphic designer. I can now go on to many AIs that are available and generate high quality logos, for example, high quality imagery. Is that a potential threat then? 
I don't believe so. What it's going to enable graphic artists to do is to work far faster and at a cheaper rate. So something that might have taken, you know, a day to work up might now take an hour to work up. So that means they can take on more interesting projects, more complex projects. We will never replace the fine artists of the world, whether they're printing something, painting something, drawing something. In terms of digital art, and art is not my field or discipline, so I do need to declare that, but I've spent a bit of time looking at this. The biggest problem, again, is the declaration of how it was created and the fact that AI can't own anything. And then there's the question of intellectual property. You know, So if I put all my data in, then AI now has my data and I have no control over it. So there's privacy concerns, more so in the UK and across Europe, perhaps, dare I say it, than somewhere like Australia, because your privacy laws are, are tighter, right? I don't think that it should be different. I'm just saying that there seems to be a difference because of the laws. And I think that where we're moving to is we already have a world where we, we don't believe what we see and nor should we, right? Pictures are photoshopped, images are, you know, digitized to create something amazing. We've moved from fireworks to drone shows. That's pretty good, right? Because it's le- it's more environmentally friendly and all these other things. And we're pretty excited about that. I mean, I'm in Sydney and we're about to have Vivid and I know that I will see more digital art starting this weekend for the three weeks and I will be more immersed in light and digital art and all of that will have been enabled by some form of technology. So it's a little bit like saying, should we be worried about we've got word processors now? Well, the people who were probably chiseling their tablets and writing on blackboards would, you know, be very happy to see that we've got word processors. I wrote my PhD with a word processor. Thank goodness, right? I can't imagine going back and editing typed up pages. So it's just this progression that requires us to reimagine how we do our work it's not taking jobs away, it's changing them. So we used to get a business analyst who might spend all day, you know, scouring to find something. You know, in the old days, that was books. Then we moved to library. So, you know, micro, you know, I started my master's degree with microfish. You know, I'm old enough to know that. Thank goodness I don't have to do that anymore. And the fact that I can actually put some data searches in and a computer can do that for me, then that saves money that I can actually put to another thing to work in a different way. So the research assistant that I work with now can be so much more productive because of the technology. We can do so much more for our students because we know when they're logging on, how long they're logging on for, all of those things. So again, I come back to that. I don't think we need to be frightened about this. What we need to do is say, This is changing. You know, we're not walking around in loincloths and carrying tablets under our arms, or not the sort of tablets they did then, carrying different tablets under our arms and wearing different types of clothing. Everything, you know, evolves and changes and grows and morphs, and we're just in another one of those. But this is a really exciting time because provided you embrace this, just like we talked about embracing the phone, It's about what's possible. But that doesn't take away the ethics of what we do and how we use it. And if we come back to that, then everything changes. Yeah, that's a really interesting take. Um, And certainly within the office uh, over at the University of Portsmouth, we we use AI all the time just to, to help us. And we become more efficient. We become so much more diverse as a team. 
as well and it's uh it's about that adapting your your working day and adapting your working process for us and we're not cheating by by using it we're just making ourselves more efficient like even simple things like concatenizing data we can pop it straight into an ai and it does it for us straight away and it saves us time it's it's so much more efficient for us so then we can go to do the things that we love doing which is ultimately ensuring that we have an amazing student experience and that we can help our students and likewise our academic stuff and i think that on top of that there's less risk of error because if you put the calculation or whatever in right what it spits out is exactly what you asked it to do so when you look at that you can say did it do what i wanted it to do well the problem is maybe i told it the wrong thing at the beginning but in terms of did it put a decimal point place in wrong on line 38 you won't ever have to worry about that because provided it was right at the beginning, it's going to be right at the end. So I really like exactly what you're saying, Chris, that we can be spend our time on the things that we love, spend our time on the things that we add value to. So I have to look at this and say, that's about right. You know, I don't teach math. I always joke with my students, I don't teach math and I don't teach art, but I can do most things on a calculator, most basic things. But if I'm doing something, I know what fundamentally I'm looking for. So if I put in the wrong calculation, I look and I go, that's not right. I must have done that wrong. So it's the same with what you're doing with AI. It's the same with what I do with AI. I look at it and I say, that's not right because I know what I'm expecting. If I take a really basic understanding of of assessment for a minute, I have used rubrics for a long time. I'm a great lover of rubrics um, and a great lover of, you know, digitized marking, but it should have a human oversight. So I always say to my tutors, when you've finished, you should have in your mind, this is a credit paper. This is a distinction paper. You know that because you've read it. When you click on that rubric, check it. If the rubric number doesn't look like what you think it should be, then what's wrong? Did you Were you harsh somewhere? Were you soft somewhere? Did you not click on a rubric box? That's your sanity check. Don't just go, oh, the rubric, you know, I clicked on the rubric, it must be perfect. You know, everything is imperfect. And I have a lot of conversations about rubrics because people say, oh, I want greater granularity. And I say, well, so you can tell me the difference between this and this for 0.25 of a mark when we change this, you know, when we scale it. People go, well, yes. And I go, great, write those two for me. And they go, I can't. I go, well, then you can't separate it, you know? So it it really focuses people down to their expertise. And I think that that's the thing. Instead of fretting about, you know, will students cheat? That's not what we're trying to find out. We're just actually trying to say, how do students learn? And how do we make sure that they have learned what we said they would learn? So that when I meet you and I look at your degree, I have faith that that has been awarded for your skills and for what I believe it would align with, with, you know, if you, I'm going to assume you studied in the UK. So, you know, you studied in the UK, that tells me you have a level of comprehension of English of this, you can write to this level and you can do these things at this level. That's a given with your stamp and the imprimatur. After that, the questions are about, can you do the job? Right. And I always remember, you know, I I come from an HR background and I had this person once that we employed and they had supposedly a degree and um, the degree wasn't necessary for the job. So we never asked for the testamenters. Right. And anyway, this person didn't wasn't working out. And I said to them, so I just want to go back to the fact that you told us you have X degree and 
Therefore, it would be reasonable for me to assume you could understand and do these things. This person looked at me and at that point I knew that they had lied and they knew that I knew and they said, I understand why you think that. And we didn't have to go any further. They came in the next day and they resigned because that was a reasonable assumption. So it comes back to that. If I've got a degree in Spanish, then you can assume that I can comprehend, read and write and communicate in Spanish or Japanese or or whatever. Unless, of course, I went to a university, let's say I went to Copenhagen Business School, where they teach in English. Again, really valid, really, really valid. So how do we then prepare our assessors for this? Because this is a, it's just a shift in culture almost, certainly for academic stuff. And over, if you look over the last, say, four years or five years, um, the shift in what was traditional classroom-based teaching has altered dramatically with the pandemic. So is this now another thing that academics are then having to adapt their, their practice over? I believe that you have to go back to look at what we thought might have been acceptable. So for me, at the beginning of the year, we didn't have enough time to pivot all our assignments. But the first thing that I knew was that any AI could produce what I'd call basic knowledge, you know, a descriptive piece of knowledge. And when I looked at my rubrics, a pass was descriptive knowledge. And I went, so that doesn't exist anymore. And I literally took that column out and went, there is below expectations and then there is a credit where you are making some fundamental connection analysis or whatever. So I think there's that. That's the first thing is to stop and sort of say descriptive knowledge is generally what we are not looking for. But maybe you are. And in which case, then a paper and pencil or a a Viva could be great because you just want them to come in and, and to talk from the heart about that. I've inserted in my assessments now that at any time you could be called upon to give a Viva Voice voice show, right? So I I want to know that, you know, if I'm not certain, a student should be able to come in and talk about that. We've always used video assessment. We love video assessment. It gives us a chance to have an authentic moment that they would do in the workplace. Again, you know, present something. And we went to that video to make it scalable. You know, I teach large courses, right? So over a thousand students, I've got lots of what you might call teaching assistants. We would call them tutors or or sessional academics. So you do have to go back to that fundamental of what are you credentializing and what are you measuring? And then actually say, what will they do in the workplace for this job? Because if I look at my particular area that I'm teaching at the moment, so sustainability ethics, nowhere, unless you're going to go and work at the UN, but like generally, nobody's going to say to you, list the 17 sustainable development goals, right? So I'm not measuring that. But I am asking the students to think about some practice and say it links to this one and call it out, which, by the way, they can look up, right? That's fine because I don't expect them to remember it. But I do expect them to have enough knowledge to then tell me why that is making a better world and how that is important and what it would mean for the company, because that's where that goes to. So it's the ability to work through that lens of sustainability or through the lens of ethics. You know, before we got started today, you and I were talking about ethics and I was saying, well, there are many ethical frameworks and you know, I teach them and I've been teaching them for a long time. So, of course, I can rattle them off. 
Uh, could I pass a high distinction level exam by creating a dissertation on all of them with paper and pen right now? I don't know. I'd have to think about that. It's late in the day in Australia and I'm tired. And also it's not a value for me to be able to do that. What is of value is, is that I understand that if you and I are sitting having an ethical discussion, we might come to a different way of understanding something because of the framework of through which we view it. And that creates different understanding, creates a better conversation and creates a different outcome. So what I really want you to be able to do is to look at, or me to be able to look at, when I did this, this was through this framework, this lens. And that's why I thought it was ethical, but that's imperfect. And that's the analysis piece. Not in a way that generative AI does when it sort of says to you, well, let me tell you about Kantian ethics, right? (laughs) And I go, and it gives me a reference from whatever it is, you know, 17, whatever, or 18, whatever. And I go, yeah, I know you didn't read that. You know, it's bad enough when they give me that they read Dewey, you know, and I go, did you really? And they go, yes. And I go, fantastic. Tell me about this. And they go, you've read it. And I go, yes, I have, because I'm, you know, from an education background. So it's that, you know. So I think that rather than being distressed about it, it's an opportunity to really reinvigorate your teaching, to really bring students along. You know, students don't like assessments. You know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, I love going to class, I love being intellectually engaged, and I hate writing assignments, right, or I hate doing the assignments, Let's face it, if it was easy to write a PhD, everybody would have one, right? But it's not the pursuit of doing the PhD that's awful. It's the writing the 100,000 words as it is in Australia, right? So this is a great opportunity to say when you get a job in whatever discipline it is, because that's why you're here, will you be able to think critically? And how will I know you can do that? Will you actually add value to society in a way that a machine can't. And, and is specific, you know, Chris, I would hope that if you and I were sitting side by side, we're adding different value to society, not the same, right? We're not interchangeable, even if our skill sets are very similar. And then secondly, how will I do this? So what tasks will I be doing? And how can I get this student to have a sense of that so that when they go for that job, they're not looking at the boss going, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this. They should go, I knew exactly what it looked like. You know, um, and I had a good idea of what that looks like. And this is how the value is that I'm bringing to it, which is different than the person who's sitting next to me who got the same degree and got the same mark because we're all bringing those unique things. And I think that's the really great opportunity is to say, when we're assessing students, when we're teaching students, how can we bring this humanity into it so that each person gets to shine their light and If they're at a university, it's those critical thinking skills, those analytic skills. That's what we're really demonstrating to the world. Otherwise, if it's just, you know, as I talked to you about earlier, if it's just about can I line the pen up and one way is, you know, spot on and any other way is not perfect, that's vocational ed and that's not what you and I are talking about today, right? So different conversation again. I think that if you can find a minute in the busyness, you know, because Academic jobs are busy, but just reimagine even one thing. Reimagine how you're grading it. Reimagine it for what it puts in for a student of the future. Just like we use new tools in the classroom every day. Like I'm a, I love using polling tools. So I use Socrative. I, you know, I use Turnity, and I, you know, I love tech. Tech makes my life great. How I use it is the difference between me and the next teacher, and why my students say. 
it was great. I felt really engaged. I thought I might be, you know, I didn't think I was interested in ethics, but it was really interesting, you know, and now I think I'm a better person and I'm not using a plastic water bottle every day. I went and bought myself a reusable one and I take my reusable cup and all of those things. And that's what I want to engage students to do at the end of this. That's really refreshing to hear. And it's it's been really, really wonderful to hear your take on how AI should really be embraced. And it's not something to be scared of. It's not something to be frightened of and kind of really build the skills into like, well, what does a student actually need to uh, be able to do when they come out of a, a degree, a master's, whatever it is that they're doing. So just to conclude up then, just some final thoughts on AI. Where's the future? Where do you see this going? And today has been a bit of a day for me of talking about AI. And I think the first thing is you need to make sure if you haven't yet dived into the pool or officially dived into the pool, first thing is make sure you do some water safety. That is find out what you need to know and then dive on in and have a play. But be water safe. You should be able to tread water and know, you know, where your float is or whatever you need to get out. Um, and then, you know, go through your basic learning, you know, learn to freestyle and breaststroke first. And then if you have an interest, you can go on to the more interesting things like butterfly and backstroke. So that's the same with AI. So dive in and start to observe how much AI is around you. You know, are you a Spotify, Netflix user? What are you doing on your phone? How much Googling do you do, et cetera? Then, and, you know, it, right down to, I'm going to say, Siri, and you watch my phone or go beep while we talk, but you know, any of those things. That's the first thing. The second thing is to then move from that perspective to how might AI be used in my industry? And then that helps you educationally. The next thing to do is to sort of say, if I could get any of the little sort of tasks on my desk that are annoying off my desk, is there something AI that can do this for me? During the pandemic was in a, um, a, you know, a Zoomies drinks one night and the people I was talking to were talking about a tool that they had that scheduled on Teams an hour or two every day of quiet time. And I went, really? And they said, yes. And so I went, okay. And the next day I went in, my diary is blocked for two hours every day. That means that any crisis that hits, I can fix. There is always two hours to fix a crisis, two hours to work on a paper or to do something that's going to, you know, advance my career or enable me to network with somebody or to, to come and have this chat with you. If you're not putting those tools to use, all you're doing is wasting time. It's a little bit like you don't need to keep a paper and pen account of everything you spend every day. Why? Because if you're using tap and go, your bank can give it to you. Why would you write it down if your bank can give it to you? Why would you not get a digital assistant to schedule your time? Why would you not look at things like letting your computer go to a darker phase so that it's better for you to go into your sleep phase? Why would you not let Spotify suggest some music for you and just, you know, surprise you? It's no different than listening to the radio. Let Netflix or, you know, Binge or Stan or whoever create your next watching pleasure, suggest some books. You know, if it can give me some words when I'm struggling, that's great. If it can check that the thing that I send off isn't missing the four commas because, you know, I've read it for the fifth time, that's good. I don't know that I want it analysing my data, but I'm very happy for it to scour and come back and give me a suggestion of some literature. I'd be equally happy to say if I give you these words, just like we might ask a word cloud, so use word clouds and, and you know, all of that 
think of the possibilities. This can change all those dreary jobs. Get a robot to do them for you and think how much fun you can have with the spare time you've got or the things that you can do that are better for your career or better for your health, better for your general life. Robot vacuum, I don't know, a cooker that turns itself on and off. We've got them all already. So this is just the next step. But we're a little bit frightened because it's if we haven't dived into the pool and we don't know what the water safety is, yeah, it's not very inviting. But everybody who's in the pool is going to tell you, it's fun. Come on in, it's fun. So maybe we should trust that come on in, it's fun and have a play and give yourself the time. You know, if you're an academic these days and you're not on Twitter and you're not on LinkedIn and you're not doing those things, then you're behind the eight ball. And it's a great opportunity to connect with other people, to think about what people are talking about, to get involved. So yes, we had to build in that time to do LinkedIn. We had to build in time to do Twitter. We had to, so yes, but when we do that, we can take away some of the other dreary stuff. So I'm pretty happy that my diary is largely managed for me and I don't have to say, where can I find time for coffee? I just say to people, look at my diary. It's absolutely spot on. Don't put anything back to back. And if it says I'm not available, I'm not available. It's none of their business why I'm not available. If that's my two hours think time or whatever. And, you know, things like delay send. You know, I say to people, don't tell me you work flexible hours. I'm not interested. Don't send it outside of nine to five because that's just good business etiquette. Yeah, right, 30 to five. So this is where AI is a game changer. Nobody needs to know if I'm at my desk or if I'm at the beach or if I'm out for a run. I can be working wherever. And I love the fact that I can go for a run and, you know, write down 20 ideas because I'm just dictating these ideas and that's producing the next thought piece that I might work on or might engage with somebody else on or whatever. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to the Telltales podcast and sharing your thoughts with us today. It's been really inspiring. Pleasure. Thanks for your time, Chris. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Telltales podcast. Please do check out the Telltales blog, which can be found at telltales.port.ac.uk. You can also follow us on our social media channels at tellportsmouth on both Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast here, but also from major music streaming platforms such as Apple Music and Spotify. Additional information about our shows can be found written within our show notes. We thank you for listening and look forward to seeing you next time.